Hi there, and welcome to the Hub of Junior Golf Podcast, Episode 9. I'm Ryan Burt, joined as always by the founder of the Junior Golf Hub, Roger Nick. And Roger, uh, Memorial Day weekend come and gone. That obviously is a huge, huge weekend for college amateur junior golf as well as the pga tour for that matter uh want to start you with uh, put yourself in the shoes of one fred biondi uh fred of course just won the ncaa individual national championship and what comes with that is an exemption into the masters but only roger if he remains an amateur of course this year with pga tour university Fred finished second in PGA Tour University. What comes with that is starting next week, he is exempt on the Corn Ferry Tour towards the end of the season, looking to accrue full-time membership into next year. Plus, he is also allowed to accept as many sponsors' exemptions as he wants on the PGA Tour. So that's a pretty hefty deal to give up. But it's not just any tournament, it's the Masters. Which way do you think you're going or advising? Well, I'm going the Masters. Wow. <laughs> I, I'm going Masters. Come on. I mean, here's the, here's the thing. He goes to no the way. Masters. No way. He's, he's going to get, you know, extra time to practice there. He's going to meet, you know, he's got plenty of sponsors exemptions. Uh, you, can't, you can't pass that one up. I think that's a... He's going to be in the crow's nest. I mean, it's a no-brainer. He may never. I mean, he's the hot ticket right now. He's the the handsome kid from Florida that just won an NCAA championship. By next April, there'll be a new hot shot that when he does so. So you're going to say stay an amateur, play the Masters, then turn professional the week after the Masters. When, I mean, this all... He won't have any status on the Corn Ferry Tour, Roger. None. Yeah, I know. Listen, uh, here's the thing. I, I think the way it is now uh, with these kids being able to play in events as amateurs, I think he's going to get – I think he can still play in some events as an amateur. Why not? Who cares? And you know well, what? As a matter of fact, well, I mean, here's the thing. He can go out and play and finish in the top five and, you know, secure some status out there. I mean – to make some bucks and then and then you know kind of get maybe win who knows i mean the guy's hot the kid is hot maybe he goes out there and just lights it on fire wins and he turns pro he's in the masters anyway see here's my thought and here's my advice uh, you've you've dreamed your whole life of being a professional golfer you think you're going to win major championships and one day be the number one player in the world you'll play plenty of masters if you wait now nine months, ten months, nine months to turn professional without any status, I mean, that the big thing to me is once he would leave the Masters, he would be rely, would be completely relying on Corn Ferry exemptions, which there aren't many of those. It's not like the PGA Tour. And if you then went and took your PGA Tour exemptions, that's almost impossible with the new format to get your to get full time, you got to be top seventy now. I don't know, Rods. I mean, I get the Masters is once in a lifetime. Well, theoretically, like I said, if you believe in yourself, you can say I'm going to be coming to the Masters for the next twenty years. No, no doubt, and and I think these guys are coming out there with that kind of confidence that hey, I'm going to go out and I'm going to you know 
uh, win events, and, and I'm going to do well on the PGA Tour, the Corn Ferry Tour, and get their status. Uh, so, you know, I'm not going to back off. I would take the Masters. I would, because, uh, again, that's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity in this uh, at, in the moment, right, in the moment. And I think that's really key uh, to take that in the moment. If he's got game, he'll get there to the Tour. He'll get there anyway. Uh, but to be able to take this opportunity as an amateur, go to the Masters, be treated like a king, I mean, you're not treated that way as a, as a professional. You know what? You're just in a major event. And, yeah, it's a nice event. Uh, but as an amateur, Bobby Jones is an amateur. It's an amateur event. I think you take that. Well, we will uh, we'll see what ultimate decision. Florida uh, still alive. We, we had uh, J.C. Deacon as our guest just a few weeks ago after winning the SEC. And they are now in the final four of the NCAAs, uh, I thought he was an exceptional guest as far as really, uh, now obviously for our viewers and for the rest of the, the, the junior world, that is the top 1% of junior golf. Um, you know, there there's a lot of chances to play college golf, but there are very few chances to play at a school like Florida just because Florida, Stanford, I mean, obviously they – kind of get to pick which players they want to get there. But what was your biggest takeaway now that he once again, and I'll tell you mine after your answer, which I think has a lot to do with their success this year. What was your biggest takeaway from JC? My biggest takeaway from JC is again, the love of the game, these guys and making sure that these guys love the game and want to compete at the highest level um, and, you know, push themselves every day to be their best. And you can, you can see it. I mean, if you watch the, the individual, um, you know, this past weekend, obviously the team now they're, you know, in the uh, final four, all of those guys are very super, super competitive, but you can also tell that they love going out there and competing. I mean, they love playing. And so I think that's definitely one of the biggest things I took away from his conversation uh, with us, uh, you know, just a few weeks ago. For me, it was how much he has changed from a head coach as far as not just trying to pick the best players that he can get his hands on, that he is more now about trying to create an atmosphere, a culture, and a team. And clearly they win their first SEC, and now they're in the final four of the nation. Uh, obviously, he's got that going pretty good. I want to touch on what you just said. At which he brought up, which is, I want players that love the game. Okay, so what does he mean by that? What he means by that is there are a huge percentage of junior golfers turning collegiate golfers. They received that scholarship. They are playing college golf that get there, and that, that is the, the goal was achieved. They got their scholarship. That was what their parents set as the goal, or they set as the goal at a very young age. They worked extremely hard, got that goal, and that's it. The goal's over. The goal was achieved. How well they play in college, or you know, do they want to not, you know, professional, whatever. Like I think a lot of coaches, and, and here's the here's the question I have for you, Roger. This is a really and as we have college coaches on, I, I want to know this because a college coach gets to talk to the kid, their recruit, boy or girl, on the phone three, maybe four times. Most 
will come watch play once, maybe twice. And then based on how good their scores are that they're reading on the ranking systems and what type of player they can get and the other kids they're recruiting, they offer some sort of scholarship. So based on the criteria I just gave you, three or four phone conversations, watching them play once or twice, you get their grades, you get their scores, and now you say, I'm putting my job on the line that in the next four years you're going to help me win. Boy, that is – you talk about a, a, a small sample size of really knowing what you're getting, Roger. That is a tough way to make a living as a college coach because, like I said, that kid, the second he gets the scholarship, that I know – I listen, I know a top junior player – that in the last round of signing, signed at an Ivy League school. This player practiced between two and five hours a day, six days a week. Since signing day, has not hit one ball. Yeah, no, I mean, you see it all the time, Ryan. I mean, uh, that uh, to your point, that's the goal, right? The goal is to, to get a college scholarship. And, you know, these coaches are saying, how do I find out what else is in the tank? You know, it's not like an NFL, you know, combine where you take an NFL or a quarterback that's, you know, one of these top schools and you give them a Wonderlake test and you're trying to figure out what are their NFL uh, compatibilities, right? I mean, uh, at the end of the day, it's it's just score. I mean, it's a golf score. Um, they hope in those two or three phone calls that they have with them that they, they ask questions about, Hey, how much are you playing? How much are your practices? What are you doing? Like, what's your dream, right? And maybe the player says, I want to be the best player in the world. Um, I guess your actions will speak louder than words, right? I mean, uh, there's no mental golf skill assessment right now. I mean, you know, we talked to Dr. Brand about this. Yeah, I mean, I'm telling you, this girl has not hit one ball and is going to arrive in college as a big-time recruit and – that coach is getting a couldn't in his wildest dreams could not imagine the player that he ultimately is getting compared to the player that he thought he was recruiting. Well, I, that is, I wish there, and, and this gets us into the hub and PDI. I mean, there actually, there is a Wonderlick test. There actually is a, a grit test that you have. I mean, yeah, how many no. coaches, how many college coaches would love to be able to get their hands on that and really, see it black and white, how much the kid loves the game or not. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And they all can get their hands on that, right? All they have to do is sign on to the junior golf hub, right? So uh, they can all get it. Uh, all the players can get it and find out, you know, kind of where they are um, and put that in their profile so coaches can see what's going on there. So, um, no, but I think that is very interesting. I, I think it's a, 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 it's a, it's a period of time where I think the transition from those junior golfers to the collegiate golfer, as you were saying, um, there's so much going on and there's such a lack of balance in their lives. I'm sure. Right. From, you know, trying to get good grades and trying to be the best golfer they can be to get that coveted spot. Right. There's gotta be pressure there. What do you do with that? Right. How do you help them uh, understand how to balance that out? Right. I mean, I, to me, you know, one of the things that we were trying to do with uh, by creating the player development assessment or the index, right, was to keep your skills sharp. And you don't have to spend six hours, eight hours a day out there grinding it out on the go on the driving range, right, to keep your skills sharp. It's 
Do you have the skills? Can you assess them on a regular basis? That takes 30 shots. I mean, if you can do that every single you know, week or you know, every other day, you're gonna, probably going to find a balance there somewhere. Yeah, and I think ultimately, I mean, every case is different. But I think for a lot of these kids that essentially hang up the clubs once they get that scholarship and really don't have a, a whole lot of interest in putting the continuing to put that time in, I would, I would be willing to bet Roger that they were burnt out from 9, 10, 11, 12. And they were really, really good because they worked so hard at 9, 10, 11, and 12. And they maintained through 14 through 18 to be able to get that prize. But uh, one college golfer once told me a true story. She said, when I got to college, and I walked in and saw my golf, my golf clubs in the bag. I became nauseous. The sight wow. of my the sight of the sight of my golf clubs made me physically sick because of what I associated and how badly I did not want to play golf. Yeah, no, it, it it's a shame, uh, but it you know what happens. I mean, listen, you you're running MB uh, three championships and you're out there and you're seeing you know, kind of what these parents put uh, some of the players through on a daily basis, to your point, especially through that, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12, maybe 13 for girls and uh, a little bit older for boys. But, you know, they, they don't have a good relationship with it, right? I mean, it's like so many other things. If you don't have a good relationship with the game, uh, that you know, you're going to find a way to get out of it, right? You're going to find a way to say, you know what, I don't want this anymore. And, you know, let it be known to those parents out there, you know, there's a lot of other things in, in the world outside of golf. And, and I think if the, the kids who want to play at the highest levels, they really, uh, going back to, you know, kind of Conrad said this and, and JC has said this, and every per- person we talk to, you've got to love the game. You really have to love the game. You know, it, there's... And, and, and the kid has to love it, right? It, it, you yeah. know, it can't be the parent's dream. It can't be, you know, hey, you're going to get this, you know, college scholarship and boy, you know, it's going to change your world. Well, you know, they're sitting there on anxiety meds, maybe. I don't know. I mean, that's one of yeah. the things we have to be careful with, right? So let me pick your brain on the performance center and I'll give you, uh, I'll give our, our, our listeners and viewers a little explanation on how the current scoring system in the United States works with this, you know, the junior golf scoreboard that is currently uh, the holy grail for junior golf as far as what college coaches are looking at. So to, in order to be ranked, on the junior golf scoreboard, you must play three 36-hole tournaments or more, 54, 72, but at least 36-hole tournaments. So if it, for example, is U.S. kids, an 18-hole U.S. kids event does not count. Doesn't matter what you shoot, it's not going to go into the ranking system. The ranking system, they have their criteria, and I'm not sure what goes into the criteria, and I'm not sure they know, but neither here nor there with the lack of anything else, it is what it is. It's three 36-hole golf tournaments within one year. If you do that, you get a ranking in your state and nationally for your age group and and also uh, the other way around. So, for example, uh, you'll get a ranking that says you are uh, 10th in the state of Connecticut for the class of 2027 because you shot 
your three rounds are are all we'll call it all par. Three rounds of par, 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 par. You come in at ten for the class of twenty twenty seven in Connecticut, and then your other rank will be what you are nationally. So let's say you're ten in Connecticut and you're three hundred for the class of twenty twenty seven in the United States for twenty twenty seven. And then the last rank is what you are against everyone. That goes seniors in high school all the way down to third grade. And that rank might be 2000. All right. What I'm getting at here is you'll, you'll go on there and you'll have kids, Roger, that have 36 tournaments in a calendar in a, that they've played that are ranked in a year. So they somehow, in 52 weeks, they've played 36, at least 36 whole events. Now, take a look at the PGA Tour. And those guys' sweet spot is between 18 and 19 events a year. And, of course, Roger, they are grown men that are doing this for a living. And they're playing 17, 18, 19 events a year. And you have a 12-year-old playing 36 events, double what a PGA Tour player is playing. And that's fact. There are kids that have 36 tournaments a year. What do you say to that? It's crazy. It's absolutely, you know, crazy. I would say, you know what, that's, uh, if you want burnout, you know, that's what you, that's what you would, that's what you get, you know, uh, to do right i mean you, you play that many events you, you're going to have burnout no doubt about it i would say you know at, at the golf performance center we talk quite a bit about this right so you know we have we ask our parents to make sure that the kids you know at least you know for the first five or six years of their competitive you know you know existence you know because a lot of kids will play u.s kids great fantastic it's one day you know events maybe they have a couple 36 old events all right, let's play a few of those a year and keep it local, keep it, you know, interesting, keep it fun. Um, and then sprinkle in a few more, you know, 36 whole events, you know, maybe eight, maybe 10 a year. I mean, you know, again, now you're getting up to that, you know, 16 to 18, 20 events a year. That's more than enough. And especially, you know, with, with school uh, being in session most, you know, most of that year. I mean, so you're cramming in a lot of tournaments and a lot of travel. Um, if you're trying to play more than that, right. And, and how are you preparing for those things? And it's, it's, it's no way that you can mentally prepare or physically prepare, you know, financially prepare. I mean, for parents out there, I mean, you know, this is a pretty expensive endeavor to go from, you know, us kids all the way into college playing that many events a year. Um, and I know again, back to there, there are a lot of, there's a lot of help out there financially. Now I know the ACE grant with the, you know, um, AJGA and I know our USA federations help players. Um, you guys help players, you get, get players in with the NB three. Um, I mean, so there's a lot of help, but the reality is, is that are we actually helping them if we're, you know, allowing them to play those, you know, 25, 30 events a year, uh, when then we know that they're possibly burnt out or not ready to play. Um, it's a tough one. I mean, you know, you want to see them playing because they love playing the game, but again, because kids are not driving themselves to tournaments, it's, it's not likely they're going, Hey, mom and dad, I want to go play 36 times this year and, you know, travel all over the country and, and be burnt out, you know, by the time I'm 14, I just don't think that's the case. Right. So I will give you a, uh, a cheat code, if you will, that will, I think help what you're saying to avoid 
So thankfully, the NCAA, uh, I guess it was four years ago now, moved the college recruiting day to June 15th after your sophomore year. Mm-hmm. So there was a time where a kid that played 36 times when he was in seventh grade and was the best player could actually be uh, verbally offered a scholarship to go to a college when he was in seventh grade and they could accept that scholarship. Now, would it still be there seven years later if if they weren't playing great? I, I don't know the answer to that, but the point is it's now you have to be, you have to go through your freshman year of high school. You have to go through your sophomore year of high school. And then June 15th of your sophomore year, a coach for the first time can come in contact with you uh, and speak to you. Okay. Here's the cheat code. Cheat code is this. I just said, Raj, that you have to play three events in a calendar year to get a ranking. Now, if when you are uh, 11 years old, you play 36 events and you shoot 59 in all every single round. You break every record known to man. You shoot, you break 60 in every round you shoot in seventh grade and you play 36 events. Uh, I'm sure there would be a lot of magazines and articles written about said kid. And I'm sure the coaches would have that kid's name on a chalkboard or on his computer somewhere. But the reality is, Eighth grade would happen, ninth grade would happen, tenth grade would happen. And let's say uh, that that 59 becomes 69 in eighth grade and 79 in ninth grade. Well, those every every single day that a calendar year happens, so let's say June 1st, Roger, June 1st of 2023, if you played on May 31st in 2022 – and you shot 59 on May 31st in 2022, when June 1st happens in 2023, that score is forever gone. It disappeared. It's no longer part of your resume. So remember, colleges can't look at you until after your sophomore year. Now, are they casually looking at the 7th, 8th, ninth grader? Of course, but like I said, every day somebody's going to lose a score. So eventually it really becomes about what you do that sophomore, that's that summer after your freshman year, and then events that you may play your sophomore year into that summer before your junior year. Essentially, folks, that year, that 13, 14 months is really what matters most. I've seen this, Roger. I've seen kids that no one's ever heard of, played no tournament golf. So they had zero on their junior golf scoreboard ranking. Their freshman year happens. They go out and play three events, and they do shoot 62s, 65s, 70s, and they go to, like, fifth in the country. They leapfrog these kids that have played hundreds, hundreds of golf tournaments, and they waited until I, I'm not advising not playing tournament golf. It is an important <laughs> part of the process. I'm just saying, if you waited until your freshman year was over and played three tournaments and played great, you could go to number one in the country right there. And everything that everyone else, those hundreds of tournaments, those no weeks off for the, for the other kids that are traveling the world, playing 36 hole golf tournaments, you could jump over them just like that. Now, not advising it, 
But unfortunately, that's the system we've been given, and that's the system and the ranking system that, that these coaches are using, Roger. No doubt about it, Ryan. I mean, uh, think of it, think of it the, the other way, which is you've got kids. I mean, we've got what, you know, 40, roughly 46% of, you know, women's rosters right now in college are international. Guess what? They're not even playing junior events here in the U.S. They're not even right. ranked. They're getting signed, not ranked. I mean, you've got. You don't even. You, you're looking at your competition on the silly JGS and then bang. The school you want to go, get to it just took a, a a really good player from Spain. A hundred percent. I mean, you know, the the men's are getting just uh, just as tight. I mean, you got twenty one percent and climbing in the men's game. They're not playing events here. You know, they're playing a couple of AJGA invitationals. They're not ranked. Boom. You know, they're they're taking your spot. Um, I, I think what's the, the advice out. What's that? What's the answer? What do you advise? Oh, I, I would advise is, you know, getting your skills as good as you possibly can and making sure that you uh, are getting your PDI, getting that assessment done, making sure that you're working on the mental, the physical parts of this game as well, uh, and getting that sharp and playing and going out and being ready to play and not just going out there to play to put it on your resume. To your point, there is no reason to build up, you know, 200 you know tournaments before you're 14 um it's only going to lead to burnout i mean you know we have a, a a great young man right now in our program um who is facing that right now he's he just he's just now turning the corner with his game he's uh he, he came to us from somewhere else and all of a sudden it's like i don't know if i want to do this anymore and the reason why is he played so many events from the ages of eight years old you know, to 14, he absolutely is just burnt out. And my advice to him was take a break. You'll do something else. You know what? You've still got game. And, and you know what? If you really want to pursue this, then let's get, let's uh, address your issues, get a little balance in life and do it. Um, you know, we have, we have this outline on the hub, uh, Ryan, if you go, you know, we call it the you know, crawl, walk and run uh, scenarios uh, as far as uh, how to pace out your tournaments, how to pace out what you actually spend on tournaments, uh, where you should be working on your game, things like that, uh, all inside the hub, you know, just, you know, log on, get, get your profile, look through um, you know, the essentials guide, find these things. These are golden nuggets. If you're, you know, parents out there, golden nuggets, you know, don't run around like crazy. That's, that's what I would say. Well, that, that's certainly wonderful advice. And, uh, we've talked a lot about it today and I know, uh, reading the comments each week that, uh, people are excited to learn that they can use the junior golf hub as a, uh, subscriber, watcher, and listener of the Hub of Junior Golf podcast. So uh, how do we access and uh, be able to start using the Junior Golf Hub for our children? Absolutely. Uh, JuniorGolfHub.com. You know, look in the description of our show. You'll find a code there. Use that code. You'll have free access. Uh, take advantage of it, please. Uh, it's only going to help you. Let's take a Let's take a, a listener, Roger, with a 12-year-old that loves golf, that is coming from other sports, and as they get to 12, 13, we'll call our, our, our case study here, um, they decide at 12 or 13 that uh, baseball, softball, basketball, football, soccer, uh, they're ready to, to, to put those away for now at a really high competitive level. 
and maybe play for their school, the soccer team, but ultimately they want to really uh, focus on on golf. For that family, is there a checklist? Is there a way to get started? Is there a way to find a coach? Is there a way to find out how many balls they should be hitting a week? What other parts of the game they should be practicing? Is there a way to find kind of a, a how-to when this kid makes this realization that they love this game and they want it to be a part of their future? Yeah, I mean, Ryan, I, 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 I'd like to say, you know, all of that's in part of the, you know, the junior golf up, right? It's all there, and, and I, I don't want to kind of beat that. But I would also just say, you know, go explore the game. You know, there's, you know, so many PGA professionals out there. Find one at your local club. Find one at the local driving range. You know, just go explore. Discover your passion for the game. Um, make sure it's something you want to do. But I would say, you know, you can come do a PDI assessment. Find out where your skills are. You know, get a pathway built for you, right? Uh, so we see that quite often with our uh, player development uh, system. Uh, it's very easy, you know, just sign up for a uh, an assessment. So the teaching part. And this is something you've done. So you hear uh, Bubba Watson never had a golf lesson in his life, right? Uh, and he's not the only one. There are players that have never had a lesson. And, and when that player makes it, certainly we make a big deal out of it because it's, it's a rarity. Uh, certainly, if you take the Bubba Watsons, never had a lesson compared to actual PGA tour or LPGA tour players that one of their parents was an instructor that far outweighs the, I've never had a lesson. Uh, how do you know when a kid is ready to start co being coached or are you the, do you subscribe to the theory that it's never too early? I don't think it's, I don't think it's ever too early. Uh, and I don't think uh, it's never too early. I, I think it's, you know what? It, everybody has a little difference uh, of way they learn and what they do. Uh, I really think it's it, if it's long as it's driven by the player, is it driven by the player? It's never too early, and it's never too late. Right? So at the end of the day, I think as long as it's driven by the player who says, you know what, I thirst for more knowledge of how to get better. And that curiosity will lead them probably to either <laughs> YouTube or to somewhere to ask a question, right? So, I mean, there is so much good information out there right now when it comes to, hey, what do I do? I mean, even chatbot, right? I mean, you can you can get a lesson plan, you know, right off of uh, chatbot. But uh, I would say finding a good coach who's helped others you know, make that transition from a, an athlete to a golfer, to a champion golfer, uh, much like, you know, the golf performance center. Uh, but again, there's so much information, uh, that's online right now in the, in the junior golf club that you can find a coach out there. But I mean, uh, I, I would say, Ryan, it's, uh, it really is up to the player. Um, not necessarily the parent, hopefully the parent realizes that maybe they've gone beyond their, their knowledge, uh, without kind of pulling out the, um, you know, how to golf books. Um, right. but at, at the same time, you know what, that that's not a bad thing either. Right. I mean, it's not a bad thing if that's what they can afford. Right. Right. Uh, I mean, Victor Hovland, uh, the great Victor Hovland used YouTube to teach himself the game and, and that's worked out pretty good. 
Yeah, no, no doubt about it. I mean, there's a lot out there. I mean, you, we know a lot of instructors out there that do a really good job of putting some good information. Now, are they going to really help their, you know, them understand the nuances of how to play in tournaments and, and, you know, where to travel, how to travel, those kind of things? Not necessarily. I mean, that's where a coach really comes into play. Are they going to help them with the physical stuff? Are they going to help them with the mental stuff? Um, you know, that's where a, a good rounded program is, is really going to win out, uh, over just a, a golf lesson. Uh, I also want to add this, that, uh, I've read a lot of the comments recently that have asked, uh, can we start answering, asking, ask the, our listeners to ask questions and, and Roger will, will give us his best answer or our guest at the time, if, if that's fitting. So go ahead on the, if you're watching on YouTube, go ahead on the comments and, uh, Leave your question for Roger. I know you have a specific question related to your to your kid, most likely. Uh, we will start taking those questions. There's there's already a pretty strong list that's uh, been developed that uh, I'm writing down. So, Roger, starting next week, um, I'm going to start asking you each week some of the questions that our viewers and listeners have, and uh, hopefully we can push them into the right direction. Absolutely. That sounds great. It's good that we're getting some questions. I love that. Yeah, it's uh, it's perfect. So if, uh, on YouTube, uh, just in the comment section or um, you, I'll even give my email address, which is ryan.r.burr at gmail.com. You can email me your question. That's my email address, uh, ryan.r.burr at gmail.com. If you have a question for Roger or a question for some of the coaches we have or recruiting questions, equipment, uh physical, uh, whatever, uh, go ahead and, and put it in the comments or, or send an email and, and we're going to start having Roger um, answer some of these questions. I know a lot of people have been asking them, so we will uh, we'll start doing that next week. Uh, Roger, it's uh, a lot of schools are out or will be out in the next uh, two to three weeks. Everybody will be out. Summer will be here. Uh, we mentioned it once before, but um, tell us why and how it's important to have your son or daughter do their PDI test before the summer gets started and then after the summer. Absolutely. Well, you want to know where you are when you're starting to select your tournaments and how you want to manage your tournament travel plans, find out where your skills are. Are you ready to go play in certain events? That's a, a that's a key. Uh, and then afterwards, you know, again, you want to see how you did and then how does it match up and what have you learned and how, how much you've gotten better from the summer participation and playing. So, you know, again, you can, uh, you know, email me as well. Uh, you know, Roger, the golf performance center, sign up for a PDI assessment. Uh, we'll get you signed up and uh, help you out there. And we got some coaches and, around the country. And the beauty of that folks is I always say a tournament is a, is a, is a good barometer of where you are, but it's not the best barometer. And what I mean by that is if you're just playing a 36 hole tournament and you know, there's a lot of things that could come into play that influence your score one way or the other. Um, you know, just because you hold out after the ball hit a tree for Eagle, it's awesome to put that on the card, but it, you know, it might give you a little deceiving score that way, just as the other way, if you're playing and it's, you know, a, a hard left to right wind, your score might not be what you think it should be at that time. Whereas if you give yourself the self-assessment of PDI, uh, whatever the score is, you, you have a baseline that then after a summer of practicing and not having to manage school with golf, uh, 
um, you can right before you go back to school, you can take the test again, and that will give you a true barometer of the, the steps you've taken. And if you're not happy with those results, you'll know next summer that you need to do more um, to, to build that up. So uh, anything else, Raj? Anything I'm forgetting? It, well, you know what? Just one thing. I mean, what a bombshell, Rose Ang, you know, turning professional, right? Yes. I mean, speaking speaking of PDI, I mean, here's somebody who's gone through the PDI, and you know, um, and she was very surprised at some of the things that she needed to work on. Uh, one of the best player, actually, the best women's Tell player. Story. Tell that story, Raj. Yeah. So yeah, we were working with the uh, Stanford uh, women's golf team uh, last fall, and we went through um, the uh, PDI assessment with Rosang and. Uh, she was very intrigued and uh, I think taken back by how difficult it was, how simple it was, but how difficult and how enlightening it was as far as like what her ball fire, ball control was. I mean, she did quite well. I mean, she was one of the highest scores with, I think, a score of 77 or 78. Uh, so it was one of the best scores in the country. Uh, however, I think what it highlighted was for her is that she needs to work the golf ball a little bit better and hit it a little bit higher. Um, and, and it and definitely showed. And she, you know, said she's going to do this after every practice or at the end of every day on uh, making sure she keeps her ball striking skills or her, her, her ball control skills up. Right. So it was a great way for her to feel the nervousness because it's it's not just rake a ball over and hit. It's actually you only get one shot of hitting the shot that uh, is uh, part of the assessment. So uh, she felt the nerve. She felt really engaged with this process. So um, I thought it was great. And um, she reached out to her coaches that she's worked with and said, hey, I, I need to work on this and, and make sure I'm able to do this when I'm, you know, as she is ready to turn professional, right? Winning, you know, back-to-back -back, uh, NCAA uh, individuals. So how do you think she'll do at the next level? Uh, based on what we know of her, I think she's going to do quite well. Obviously, she's a great player and uh, she's got a great head for the game. Uh, I do think that uh, uh, the court setups are going to be slightly different than what she's used to in college. And uh, I think it'll be a really good challenge, but I think she's got the skills to do it. Yeah, it's going to be really fun to watch. I mean, that is uh, an all-time superstar that is uh, going to – and it also is good to see. I do think we, we started the show with Fred Biondi. We'll end it with Rose Zhang. Uh, you know, it wasn't that long ago, Roger, that – college golf was kind of an afterthought mm -hmm. and that was not the route people were taking to get to the next level. And it's good to see that that's changed. It really is. And, and I think it's going to continue uh, because one, for those that, that, that top echelon player or even players who are not at the top echelon are going to get these opportunities or have opportunities to go play, polish their skills, you know, take that next step. Um, and then, you know, hopefully launch their careers. Right. So I think college uh, golf is uh, is really exciting now. It's uh, it, it, you've got some of the best athletes going into it. So uh, really good, um, really good time right now for golf. Awesome. Uh, well, Roger, uh, great show as always. I know you are uh, heading out for a tournament yourself. So everyone here at the pod wishes you uh, good luck and hit them straight, my friend. Thanks, man. You as well. You got to uh, go take note as money. I, I mean, that's, that's the plan, my friend. That is the plan. You got so much of mine. I got to get some back. So once again, uh, thank you so much for watching the Hub of Junior Golf podcast. And we will be back next week. Have a great week, everybody.